focus on the process, not the destination. I tell myself that every every day I wake up and I write out my daily plan. And I write that on my planner because it's so easy to just like get stuck into like, oh, well, I can't do this. If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. Hi, and welcome to episode three of Runner Clicks, the Passionate Runner podcast. I am your host, Whitney Hines. I'm a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and founder of TheMotherRunners.com, a resource for moms who run. And today's interview is with physical therapist Dr. Joe Norton. Joe's dedicated his life work to helping runners get out of the injury cycle and back to doing what they love. And we talk about everything dealing with running injuries, what you can do to avoid them, how to tell when you need to take time off, how to be a good injured runner so that you come back healthy and strong, and so much more. And truth be told, this is a conversation that really hits close to home for me because I have been battling running injuries for the last two years. And so I know how confusing and frustrating the journey can be as an injured runner. A little bit about Joe, his journey into PT started with running in high school and then college. And unfortunately, his collegiate career was limited due to injuries and he sought help from many healthcare providers and no one gave him the answers that he needed to manage his running injuries. And he was told by some of these healthcare providers that some people are not designed to run. I think many injured runners have probably heard that, myself included. His injury history eventually led him to physical therapy school and then to a residency program at Georgetown University. Joe's goal is to be able to help runners avoid the disappointment and frustration of being told that they should not run. Two years ago, he started his own practice to be the provider of choice for runners and active adults in Washington, D.C., seeking authentic, reliable, and excellent physical therapy to enhance their strength, health, and happiness. And I can't wait for you to hear my conversation with Dr. Joe Norton. If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. RunnerClick presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines. Hey, Joe. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Hey, Winnie. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here to talk about all things running injuries. And so I want to know first, you got into physical therapy because you were told, hey, some people just aren't built to be runners. I wanted to know what kept you pushing, what kept you from not accepting that as the answer to the reason why you were dealing with running injuries. That's a good question. I've actually never quite thought of that. I suppose when I received the feedback from the various physicians that said that running, I probably wasn't designed to run. I always thought that was just like weak, like unsatisfactory mm-hmm. in a way. And I felt good. I felt healthy. I felt strong. I just had this one area of my body that just was continuing to get injured. So that just led me to eventually find these other areas of potential or opportunity in learning physical therapy and then the subsequent sciences of rehabilitation to just continue to delve deeper, learn more, to know that, you know what, anyone has potential and you just need to have patience, persistence, and usually a plan of attack to get there. And it's definitely not, it's not always a straight line, but that was kind of where I, I was coming from. It was just this internal thought that there was definitely something more to be had. And so you've said that you want to get people off the treadmill of the medical system. And so to me, that is being able to find the source or sources of these injuries instead of just kind of playing whack-a-mole with injuries and just treating them as they come up. How is it that you're able to go about doing that? And what? And if somebody is meeting with a physical therapist or a doctor, what should they look for to know that this person is assessing the root cause of their issues? 
pretty much everyone that sees me is usually seeing me from a reactive standpoint. They've have knee pain and they have a marathon two weeks away and they're like, Oh crap. Am I going to be able to run this race? So where I usually come from with these people is uh, trying to figure out like, what is their expectation and trying to just really understand their why, like, why are they seeking help? Why do they want to get better? And that really just understanding the person more than the injury usually then helps me to um, figure out what makes them tick. And then eventually gets down to, the underlying issues. Usually there is a certainly a biomechanical cause, strength, flexibility, coordination, running form, but there's also just like a human behavior cause, whether that's like just have to do training or uh, don't have time to do other things. So delving into what makes people people usually is the best way to eventually make headway in those underlying issues that drive repetitive injury patterns. So you look at the whole picture as far as, okay, how much they're running, how well are they recovering, how they're fueling, and then how they move. You got it. And that's that's kind of like the uh, the thought pattern I usually have is like, how can I understand this, this human being first? And then how can I educate or motivate them to understand what is their training patterns, behaviors, wants, needs? Then I usually go into um, more of this straight PT like focus, like well, how's that ankle moving? How are the the strength in, in that area? Uh, and starting to build up the physical aspect after that. Because it can be really confusing, as you know, because we've connected in part because I've been dealing with injuries over the past couple of years, and it can be really confusing because where you are injured may actually not be the cause. Like it could be further up the chain or down the chain. I have a a plantar fascia tear. I had a hamstring tear and it turns out that it's all emanating from my toes. (laughs) And I mean, who would have thought, you know, if somebody is dealing with an injury, how can they ascertain where it might potentially be coming from? Or how do you address that? Uh, And and kind of what you mentioned is I call it the pebble in the pond where you you have these ripple effects and it could be your hamstring, could be your plantar fascia, but it's rare that I will be able to find in like one to two sessions, like what is like the underlying trigger of this person's biomechanical issue, but you start to just continue to look for these patterns. And a lot of it does come down to that. Like 80% of what I see is a similar injury pattern. So for the average person, there's a ton of information out there and it's it's overwhelming as you start to Google, like, I have shin splints, what do I do? Uh, you'll find like eight different things and eight different approaches on how to manage that. Mm-hmm. So most of what you'll read online is kind of like what we talked about before. It's going to be that reactive symptomatic treatment. I honestly think to kind of get into some of these root causes, you need to work with a professional who who understands running, running injuries and biomechanics. And they're able to to have that experience, that pattern recognition, put that into some type of movement-based framework to start to yield what are these underlying issues of pain, injury, dysfunction. And so you you don't recommend that people just go straight to Dr. Google and doing whatever it is that Dr. Google tells them to do. I, I'm not against it, to, to be honest. Um, I try to always just keep an open mind and know there's a dichotomy to like everything. Uh, I saw this interesting kind of, maybe it was a meme on Instagram where the person was like, it was, it was a client thinking to themselves as a doctor, it was like trying to tell them what was going on with them. They're like, don't confuse your 10-minute uh, lecture on, on foot issues from med school for my 29 years of life dealing with my foot. So... <laughs> I always kind of do consider that as like, yeah, I mean, a lot of times patients, clients, they almost tell you what's going on and they usually will have like an intuitive sense, like my body just needs to move more or I need to get stronger. I'm feeling tight or weak. So I am all on board with people learning as much as they can. If I can influence that through um, more cultivated resources, I would definitely prefer that. But a knowledgeable person client is something that is makes life easier for everyone. That's a good point. And that's, I mean, we runners do tend to know our bodies pretty well, but we also, and you coined this phrase for me is that we have the disease of more. And so many injured runners, myself included, it, we will 
have a problem and we will attack it with all the resources that we have. And then we end up doing more harm to the area that we were trying to strengthen or heal. And so for runners like that, what is your advice to them? I mean, is it, should you treat it every other day or it really depends on the stage of the injury? I mean, obviously if it's a bone, that's different, but if it's a, like if it's shin splints or runner's knee or plantar fasciitis. So combating the the challenge of more is more. <laughs> Let's see. I, I worked with someone, actually you sent her my way and she had a hamstring issue and running was, was life. And it was something where she told me flat out for a session, was like, Joe, I'm going to run. And I was like, all right. <laughs> I was like, how can I best help you then? And she was like, you have to give me very specific guidelines on what I can and cannot do, but you have to know that I'm going to run. So you have to work with that. And I was like, all right. So we found some common ground and that's a part of it is most people want to get better. So it's finding those opportunities to make some changes and the least amount of changes I can make to someone's lifestyle or exercise habits is usually the best. So when someone's like, I need to do this, I have to do this. I'm going to weigh the pros and cons of like, all right, you don't have a broken bone. You're, you're not going to die. So you probably get away with some running and I'll usually explore the potential with them on like, well, how much running can you do? What's it look like? How does it feel? And then I'll start to give them this framework uh, that like light analogy. Like if your pain is like a 10 out of 10, that's a red light. Like you shouldn't be pushing through that. Uh, but if you're working through mild to moderate pain, you're not limping, you're typically recovering within a day after your injury, we can work with that. That That's a stable presentation. That's something that over the long term of like 6, 12 months, you're going to wind up where you need to get. Let's talk about the scenario where you wake up one morning and you have a little pain um, or you're running and then you, something tweaks and you're like, ooh, that's weird. Runners will call this niggles. I don't <laughs> which is a funny term, but it's what we call just a little ache that's talking to us and we're not quite sure if we should listen. What are your guidelines for figuring out whether or not you need to rest it or scale back your training or run through it and it's just your body adapting to new stress that you're putting upon it? Mm -hmm. I'll give you my personal experience because my personal experience doesn't always mirror my guidelines. Um, so. <laughs> Without question, every runner is probably going to feel something at least once a week, maybe more. And usually what I do on my own runs, I'll feel pain somewhere like weird. I'll be like, all right, well, that's odd. I don't usually have issues there. I'll keep going, uh, even if it is like an 8, 9 out of 10. And I'll just monitor it. And usually what does happen is it just loosens up and I never feel that issue again. So that is something that I would encourage most people. Just keep moving, keep doing what you're doing everything is likely going to be okay. And just approach it with your body's giving you a little feedback. Maybe this area is a little tight, tired, maybe it's warming up, take it as that feedback. However, if the, the issue isn't easing within the run, then I would usually just recommend just starting to walk, um, slow it down, walk. Walking is a-okay for runners. Uh, runners hate walking, mm -hmm. but I do it on my, my, my own runs as well. It's just like, sometimes like maybe I'll just walk for a bit and almost always I feel better afterwards. And then through the course of the walk, if your issue is clearing up, cool, go back to running. So that's typically the, the internal monologue I have within myself. And I try to impart that along with the guidelines I give people. I'm a little bit more strict with my guidelines with people who are consulting me for injuries in the sense that I usually want them to shut things down if they're getting to like mild to, or sorry, moderate to market amounts of pain. So going to give them similar feedback though, if they are consistently getting the same soreness over and over again, week to week, and they're not noticing any change, any improvement. Or if the symptoms is like one day, it's like through the roof, it's awful, it's uncomfortable. The next day they're not having it. And it kind of follows that unstable trajectory, that wax and wane. Then again, I'm, I'm starting to think, okay, you will, something is up. Uh, we need to delve a little bit deeper in terms of understanding your, your training habits, as well as some of the underlying things that we talked about before. So can you go through that light analogy? The chalk light? Yep. Green, yellow, red. And we kind of equate that back to the uh, VAS scale of 0 to 10, which most people hate. But <laughs> it, it is something that is 
valid and it's reliable within the same person. So if I'm asking you, Whitney, today versus six months from now versus six weeks before now, uh, we'll get a good sense of how you are feeling. I cannot compare that to me or anyone else, but I get a good sense of how you're feeling. So the traffic light analogy is based off that zero to 10. Zero to two is a green light, meaning your pain is slight to mild. You're feeling some soreness, but it does not bother you and you are not limping. And you recover almost immediately once you stop doing the activity. Between a three to a six is considered a yellow light. So that's proceed with caution, meaning, hey, something's going on here. It's a little bit stronger. I'm still not limping. I'm still able to run my normal rhythm, pace, but it's caught my attention more. And usually that's the where I want most people kind of veering towards caution, just really monitoring that symptom. If it stays in that yellow light zone, then I'll have people just continue onward. But the 24 hours after will dictate a lot of information. Most tissues like tendons and joints within that first 24 hours after physical activity, that's when they'll communicate the most. Uh, so if you're in that yellow zone and you're 24 hours later is good to go, you're good to go. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't really change your, your exercise patterns. Don't progress, but don't change what you're doing. Conversely, if you're in that yellow light zone when you're doing activity, symptoms last beyond 24 hours, then I'm starting to think you're likely pushing the stress on your tissues too much. So then I'll have people start to, to back down a little bit from their, their training, uh, whether that's running or exercise. And then red light is anything that's above that six out of 10. I would also say a red light would also be something that you are um, having to really deviate your form. Yeah. Uh, so if you're considerably limping, you're turning your foot out. Recently, I've been delving deep into Christopher Johnson's work. He's a physical therapist. He uses this thing called the Wilk scale. And in it, it's kind of mentions like if you are having pain where you have to uh, medicate or... Um, seek other interventions, usually that's a red light too. Mm. So we'll kind of put that in there as well. So if you're changing your form, if you're having to do anything to alleviate the pain just to get to your next run, or if the pain it stays in that yellow light zone, but it doesn't get any better, then something needs to change. Right. Like if you have, if you have just a slight pain in your foot and it's there for a few weeks, um, and it's not necessarily causing you to change your form, but it's not getting any better. That will probably potentially be a red light. And so you need to act upon it now. I'll go yes and no with that. If it is slight and you're feeling good, all systems are go. I'm in the, the bias to say, just keep doing it. Occasionally, we're going to get these, these symptoms that is our body adapting to the training. Um, so for example, uh, whenever I start a training routine for a half or a similar type distance, I will always get left hip soreness. And what I've learned through the years is that's just my, it's probably my weak zone, but that's my body just communicating that we're building stress. And then usually after two to three weeks of having that soreness in the hip, uh, I don't feel it again throughout the rest of the training cycle. And I'll see that time and time again with clients that are just starting new activities or just made a bump in their physical activity is they'll feel tendon strains and like their Achilles, they might get some back stiffness. And as long as it's mild, I don't see anything objective that's showing me they're losing range of motion or strength. I'm usually going to say, I'm going to give them the pep talk that, you know, everything's going to be okay. You do want to continue to monitor this, but I wouldn't change anything because uh, this is your body actually going through the adaptation and we need that adaptation to develop more strength so that you can achieve your goals and get stronger. And just the key there is making sure that you recover well. That is the key. I'm close to returning to running and it'll be about six months off this time around. And I it's gonna I know it's gonna be so confusing because my body's gonna be talking to me and telling me that it's adapting, it's getting stronger, but it's hard to to determine whether or not this is a setback or a new injury or just adjusting to the new stress. You're right. You're gonna get those symptoms. And it's going to be hard to really differentiate like what is safe versus what is appropriate versus what you should not or do not want to feel. So using that traffic light a little bit can be helpful. People that have had an injury history, I'm usually going to be uh, more conservative. 
if you're feeling something that feels like your familiar symptom, then I'm probably going to have you back it off a little bit more versus something that's just like tight, sore, stiff. I'm probably going to say just, and, and if you're following that traffic light analogy, I'm probably just going to have you keep going on. I think I have heard that it's not, if you feel tightness, mm-hmm. like if your the belly of your hamstring feels tight, it is not always the appropriate response or your calves feel tight to stretch the heck out of it. And in some cases, you may be better suited to do eccentric loading or, I mean, is that correct? Do a lot of runners make make the mistake of stretching sore areas when, in fact, they should be doing something else? I think it's like every human being. Uh, you feel something <laughs> tight, so your natural reaction is to like rub it or stretch it. Where we come from, from the physical therapy perspective, is it's rare. Things are really getting tight, especially as we're running because you're lacking flexibility. Uh, And so those type of things like stretching, rubbing it are are things to improve the muscle flexibility, mobility. So although they will certainly make it feel better, they're not going to get you to like the long-term three months from now, not feeling that anymore. So if you are getting that persistent tightness over and over again, that doesn't let up and you want to know more, you want to treat it, then it's something you need to delve a little bit deeper. It could be you, you do need to find that pebble in the pond where it could be that local muscle, that hamstring, for instance, that's tight and that muscle's weak. Or maybe you're super fatigued, like you've done a long run followed by a workout, followed by another like harder workout. And then it's kind of your body's letting you know, hey, we need a break. Sometimes delving a little bit deeper is needed. However, I would always first think like, is this symptom interfering with what I want to do? And how intense is it? And uh, if, if it's not intense, it's not interfering, then usually everything's going to be okay. But if it does start to interfere with your activities, it is getting more intense, then you start you start to kind of delve into figuring it out. Many runners hear this from non-runners that anytime they have a pain, oh, you just need to rest. Just rest. Uh-huh. Just take a break. Just stop running. Where in fact, rest is not always best, right? I mean... In some instances, you do just need to rest, but in other instances, you need to strengthen that area. And if you have a pain, like if you have a strained calf or hamstring, taking three months off and then returning to run is not going to eradicate that issue. Right. Yeah. I think of one client I worked with two years ago where every time he started a training cycle, he got a new injury. So he had like Achilles tendon issues. So then he took a couple weeks off and then he got back into running again. Then he got a uh, patellofemoral pain, runner's knee shortly thereafter. And then he took some time off and then he went out again. Then he got patellar tendinopathy and he kept going through the same cycle. And his response every time was stop running, take time off. And what we know from that is yeah, you probably need to back off a little bit to to make some changes to that aggravated tissue. However, what happens when you back off 100% is that tissue drops in its capacity to tolerate the stresses of running. And then what happens is you are then re-entering running at a lower capacity strength point than you were before. So before, if you were able to tolerate five miles pretty easy, now as you go out, your five miles is going to be like three miles for you. And most people don't necessarily register that change in their tissues. So then they just go back to what they were doing before. And that that's where these repetitive issues come into having effect. The other thing that usually happens as well is most tissues need uh, some balance of activity to maintain their typical wellness or health. And this is like the simple saying for like joints, like motion is lotion. So what happens to joints is they need, they depend upon range of motion, stretching, weight-bearing forces to actually flush in needed blood flow nutrition and pull out waste products. And that just keeps the internal environment and the joint healthy. Similar thing with tendons and and muscles. They need that loading and that stretching and that movement to have this uh, equilibrium. Otherwise, they are going to get deconditioned, they're going to get stagnant, and then that's where the uh, tissues are not getting the, the message that, hey, we need to stay healthy, we need to take get stronger. So then they kind of atrophy or weaken. And then the scenario that happens is like what I discussed with that runner. So a quick aside for any of you guys who are on Instagram, Joe has this awesome series called Motion is Lotion in which he (laughs) he features the different exercises that you can be doing to make sure that you are 
properly mobile to be a runner. So how, (laughs) what's that? I forgot I did that. Oh, (laughs) and now I'm like, oh, I need to go back and start doing those. (laughs) I I frequently do the Myrtle routine, but I'm sure I should be doing more. Um, What routine? The Myrtle routine, Jay Johnson's. Is that like he does the uh, the lunges in different directions? I, that might be. I think they did a, a remix version, so I think that is part of it. It's you know, it's got hurdles and leg swings, and mm-hmm. it's a lot of dynamic stretching, and right. then it's very hip focused. Talking about if you're an injured runner, just chilling out on the couch for three months is not going to fix your problems. How can you be a good injured runner to set yourself up for success once you return to the road? Great question. I always pose people that same statement is like, this is going to set you up for success. So the, the layups are make sure you're sleeping well, make sure you're eating well, and uh, make sure you're getting in some type of movement every day. Uh, more often than not, those are the uh, building blocks of just any type of wellness program. Uh, if you are an injured runner and you cannot run, would that be the scenario? Yes. Okay. If you're an injured runner, you cannot run then I would walk. Um, Certainly getting in walking time on your feet will somewhat keep your cardiovascular system and your musculoskeletal system in in shape. It won't be a total one-to-one replacement, but it will make getting back into running easier. And then if you have something that uh, has worked in the past for you, I would probably go back to the exercise routine. So like heel raises, for example, or something that worked well or core training, I would just get into that and definitely if you are having some questions on like, well, I have an Achilles issue. What do I do for that? Then you're asking the right questions. And then you should ask that question to a medical professional or, or just someone that knows the injury patterns of running. And they'll be able to give you some specific quality advice. Yeah. I think getting the prescribed exercises from a medical professional is also really, really important because you know, your injury could be your right side of your glutes are weak, but if you're not attacking that, then the problems will probably just resurface again once you go go back to running. Right. There's a saying that you should get assessed or don't guess, get assessed. Mm-hmm. And, and I would take it even like a step further where uh, I had a runner actually reach out to me on Instagram to inquire and work with me. He said he had an Achilles tendon issue. And I told them like, yeah, these are some of the things that we might do for it. Uh, let me know if you want to have a longer conversation. And then I followed up with him in a week and he said, oh, I went to the doctor and I took an x-ray and actually had a stress fracture. Mm-hmm. And it just is it like, reminds me that like, yes, you do sometimes need that clear, exact um, medical assessment to give you the most accurate, specific diagnosis. Yeah. I mean, every time I get injured, I learn something <laughs> in this blast, this, this most recent one, I, I thought I had plantar fasciitis. So I was getting it treated for a couple months. I was doing everything I could was not running and it was not getting better. And then I finally got it imaged and realized it was torn. Um, and so that's kind of my advice now. Cause I hear from lots of people, my athletes or via Instagram who have, have questions about aches and pains. And now I'm, I'm saying, just go ahead and get an image. If you've been dealing with this and you're doing something and it's not working, you, you need to figure out what the real problem is. Most um, evidence-based recommendations are that, that in absence of, we'll say, neurologic compromise, so weakness, numbness, tingling, bowel, bladder issues, you always want to go conservative first. So conservative would be the physical therapy, um, exercise, advice route. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, we're, we're coached or taught in school that you give someone at like four to six weeks uh, uh, to see if you make any positive changes. If you're not making any changes or conversely, if you're getting worse, then you need more information. You need to go see probably someone that can order imaging so that you can get a, a more specific diagnosis. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. At what point do you realize that you need to change course? So four to six weeks is that number that either you need to get imaging done or go see a different physical therapist or try a different. There are just so many modes of treatment out there now. Um, and, and that can be overwhelming as a runner. What is, what's the right way to go about it? And everybody has an opinion. <laughs> My practices I've gone through, so I've been a PT for 12 years, actually uh, have, I 
pull the trigger sooner now than I ever used to if people aren't improving. Um, more just because I have this library of reference of people I've seen and we've just learned more as a, as a um, profession that you sometimes need to get more information. Uh, so I'm usually like two to three sessions if, and I'm, I'm, I'm unique in that I work with everyone usually once a week for an hour. So if I'm not seeing changes pretty quickly, then I'm usually thinking that something else needs to happen. And occasionally it's also someone's symptoms are going to be telling too. So if someone's coming to me, they're like a 10 out of 10, they can't sleep. I touch them and they like jump off the table. That's someone I'm probably going to refer immediately. Uh, yeah. <laughs> versus someone that's uh, doing okay, maybe mild to moderate amounts of pain. They have pain with specific activities. It calms down when they're not moving around. That's the person that I'm usually going to give more time to to see if we're going to have a beneficial treatment effect. But if I start throwing all my treatment interventions at someone and I've they've come back repetitively, symptoms are the same, they're not changing, and I delve into it, uh, and start to problem solve and we're still not getting anywhere, then yeah, we need to get some more insights. How do you end the the injury cycle or how do you, is it possible to be a runner and not get injured? What are the things that we, that you could be doing as far as proper warm up, cool down, mobility, dynamic stretching, strength training? What are the things that we can be doing so that we don't fall into this cycle? That's a great question. You also noted in like your last question of like, uh, something to the effect of, uh, there's so much information out there, so many different modes of treatment. Mm -hmm. I would say first is the risk of any activity is that you're likely going to develop an injury sooner or later. Uh, Mm -hmm. and And I appreciate you saying that because I mean, being, being a runner means at some point you're going to get injured and it's not your fault and it, and it does it. And it's not because of the way that you're training or how old you are. It just, it's a repetitive sport. It's an impactful sport and it will happen. And I would say that there's also out, things outside of running that will factor in. Like uh, maybe you have two or three children, you're up at mm-hmm. 5 a.m. every day. Um, <laughs> you have a full-time job on top of that. So you have all these other stressors and all those things slowly chip away at uh, your capacity, how much you can tolerate. And that will, again, make like a five-mile run seem like a 10-mile run. Yes. So there, there are those ebbs and flows of life. The alternative of not running, uh, not doing anything at all, is actually far worse for anyone. So yes. activity does carry that uh, that weight, that pro and con. So you do need to acknowledge that there is some aspect of the activity that carries a risk. If you are okay in engaging that risk, which you should be because you need to to have a well life, then the things that I always want to impart is keep it simple. You need to do some type of mobility and or strength routine. Running being mostly cardiovascular is definitely going to make your cardiovascular system good and strong. But what it doesn't necessarily do, it doesn't build quality strength in your muscles or your joints. It doesn't build robust range of motion through all planes of movement that are needed for life. So you do need to supplement running with other activities. And so other than having a sound training program, understanding the risks of running versus not, you would benefit from just a simple strength and routine. And this is something where it's like, uh, his name's Dan John. He's a strength and conditioning coach. He says you need to have life movements. And these are like, everyone needs to push something, pull something, squat something, and uh, pick up something heavy off the ground. So push, pull, hinge, and squat. Um, so I usually pull that into my thought as I'm designing exercise programs for people is I try to have one exercise that meets each of those needs. And if you're hitting those things anywhere from one to three times a week, you are going to be strong and probably continue to get stronger. If you are someone that does the same thing every week over and over again, and it's not progressive, meaning like you're not changing any variables, you're not making it harder, longer, then you probably also need to develop, develop some knowledge of manipulating those variables so you are continuing to get stronger. But for the most part, those would be the three things is sensible training plan, knowing like why you're doing your activity and you need to have good strength through as much range of motion as you can focusing on your life movements. And I'm going to add to that sensible training plan because I know a lot of runners aren't the best at balancing stress and rest. And so making sure that you run easy on your easy days so that you can run hard on your hard days and recover well. Totally. I'm, I was that person in college. If I ran something that was like, 
slower than seven minutes, I'd be upset. And then I would mm-hmm. try to like hammer out the run the next day. And as I've kind of aged, one part is I've become way less competitive. Um, and the second part is I've grown to really enjoy my slow runs. Um, uh, and it's kind of just, it's time away. It's time to think it's time to catch up on a book or something. So it's, it's quite enjoyable to run slow and odds are running slow will eventually lead to you running faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something a lot of people have a hard time accepting that the magic happens in that lower heart rate zone. What about running form? Mm-hmm. That's obviously a risk factor that people have, but it's also tricky because if your body has become used to running a certain way, when you try to manipulate that, you could create more problems, right? So how do you how do you address that? Totally. And should and should someone? Great starting question. So first, it, when you change running form, any way you change it, you're placing stress somewhere else. So it's it's not like you're totally getting rid of stress. You're just shifting it from maybe your more from your knee to your hips or more from your foot to your knee. And that's the genesis or the gist of most running form recommendations. The school of thought that I've been exposed to the most suggests that if you're uninjured, you have no injury history, and you don't care about improving performance, then you should not tinker with your running form. And there's some research that shows in novice runners, so people that don't run at all, after about just eight weeks of just like starting an easy running routine, most of them settle into a very efficient for them running form. So very individual, individualized. Uh, so give some credence or validity to that thought process that we shouldn't necessarily tinker with form if it doesn't need to be tinkered. However, if you are injured and you've done all the other things, so you've followed the sensible training plan, you've done some strength and conditioning work and the pain is still there, then yes, you probably need to start tinkering with your running form. And then the other thought is if you, well, two other thoughts. Another one would be, I just worked with a woman that ran Boston in like two months before Boston. She said she sprained her knee while running. Seemed like she had a meniscal type injury. And so every time she would walk, she would get pain. She was like in tears seeing me. So I was like, all right, well, if it was my knee, I probably wouldn't run. But (laughs) how important this is to you. So let's just try it. So I just put her on the treadmill and just had her start going. And she like came out with all like the classic overstriding signs. She's like slamming the ground. It was really loud. Her cadence was pretty low. It was like 150. I was like, you know what? Let's just bump your cadence up and see what happens. So I just put on my metronome, sped her up about 10%. And then she went from like 5 out of 10 pain to 0 out of 10 pain. Wow. So there's always that kind of like potential to consider is like, all right, we have this injured runner in front of us. Maybe we should make a quick tweak to the running form that could help them. And then the, the fourth group is performance. If you are wanting to perform at a higher level, get faster, then you want the most efficient running form possible. So those are the, the, the four kind of thought processes I have. Like, should I change someone's running form? Should I not? And what type of, type of pathway should I go? So if somebody suspects that running form might be their issue, they should just focus on or first focus on shortening their stride to improve their cadence. Yeah. Usually like 80, 90% of running issues are cadence issues. Really? Yeah. Cadence being like the number of steps you take per minute. Mm -hmm. And if you keep the same speed, what we know is at least a huge reductions in the force going through your body. Um, And we see that almost throughout every tissue, whether it's the Achilles, the knee, the hip. And then what we usually see from a, like a positional perspective, like your uh, alignment when you're running, is it usually improves vastly once you start to mess with cadence. So if someone's an overstrider, you start to see that foot gets a little bit closer to their body. If someone has a big kind of drop in their pelvis, you start to see that kind of minimize. So it does lead to improvement in all the other little things. So it's, it's in, a, in a nice way, it's kind of a catch-all. Um, so usually that's going to be the first thing I do with people is like, well, let's manipulate slash change the cadence, see what happens. Some people take to it really well. Some people hate it. It's one of the things where, although it might be the first thing I try with people, if I start to see mostly an overstride or a slow step count, I'm definitely open to other ideas. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, most people just like, you got to speed up your cadence. Yeah, it, it can be hard because I know it feels awkward at first. So I I would imagine you advise runners to give it several runs or do it for part of a run to acclimate. Yeah. Usually I tell people 
you know, for the first three to five minutes of your run, put the, the metronome on, run to the metronome, then turn it off. For the rest of the run, just enjoy the run. What we'll see is usually pretty quickly, within two to four weeks, their natural cadence just speeds up. So it doesn't take a very long time to see a profound improvement. But yes, the, the initial growing pains are certainly there with it. Okay. Wow. I did not realize that, that you can change it so quickly mm-hmm. and that, that that is a source for the majority of running injuries. Yeah. There's a research <laughs> that looked at, I think they just gave people like a one-time education, one-time like feedback on the treadmill and had them change their cadence. And I think they only really followed up, like they followed up like four weeks and I think they had a longer follow-up sometime like 12 weeks or something. And what they found is that the changes in the form were sustained at that longer follow-up. And that was all just from like a one-time session of just messing with someone's cadence and giving them like the, the education slash feedback of what to do. Wow. That's amazing. Well, that, yeah. that's great. <laughs> Something so simple that can have make such a big difference. Totally. I'd like to talk a little bit about the difference between bone and soft tissue injuries, mm-hmm. how they feel different, and then what the recovery process is like for those two categories. So we'll, I guess we'll start with how to, if you're dealing with the pain, is there a way to assess whether or not it's bone or soft tissue? And then how would you proceed, proceed from there? Well, let's go with like an, an easy area, like the shin, cause that's, that's going to be one of the most commonly felt areas. Occasionally location can be very telling of what is going on and what you'll usually have with, it, it's hard to it's a tough question, actually, Whitney. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Is bone injuries are one of those things that you have don't go by that traffic light analogy. You actually only you don't want much pains, like one to two out of ten at most. Otherwise, you just everything else is a red light. The things that would lead me to uh, raise my antenna that a person might have bone stress injury would be if they've had one in the past, and that's usually very telling. Occasionally, if we start to delve into someone's training history and we see huge jumps in their their training log, or if we start to see that someone um, is uh, usually like a some younger females, maybe they have some differences in body weight, like big differences, and they have they're not very quality eaters. Perhaps we're going to start to have a higher suspicion of bone versus some other type of tissue. So those are some of the things I'll carry in before I even go into a physical exam. Uh, the other thought I would have is if it's pretty point tender, so if like you're touching on your shin bone and there's like one spot that's really, really painful, or you're touching around your foot um, and you have one spot that's really tender and painful, then I'm usually going to want more information immediately. So in that situation, I would probably tell someone, don't run until you see a doctor, get an x-ray, whatever the the uh, diagnostic of choice would be, and then go forward with that. Other things sometimes if we're dealing with like a pelvis or a hip, which are also kind of common areas, would be if like uh, a single leg hop test is one of the commonly things we'll do objectively. So you just hop up and down one leg. If you can't do that without symptoms, uh, then you probably need to get some more information as well. Okay. And so then how would you approach a soft tissue injury? Soft tissue injuries are, I guess, more like, let's get moving. Bone injuries are, <laughs> well, let's slow down just a bit because we want this thing to calm down. But we do know bone does, just like joints, they need that repetitive loading of uh, life and movement to eventually adapt and stimulate uh, growth and, and uh, repair. Soft tissue injuries are going to be something that usually there's going to be some type of muscle imbalance or movement, uh, habitual movement dysfunction that's leading into that. We are not as concerned about the bone breaking or we're not as concerned about pushing through some moderate amounts of pain with those. Um, So for that group, I'm usually going to just get them doing more, whether that's uh, exercise, strengthening, running, and much less uh, concern for something adverse. And so, and then the return, once their injury is healed, their tear, their itis, the the stress fracture, does the return look pretty similar? To an extent. 
mostly, so with bones, what you're eventually going to do is once you diagnosed it, you're going to get them into some type of loading pattern. So it might be something we'll give you the shin analogy where the shin needs like impact to get it stronger. However, what happens with bones is they almost get like bored with impact. So after maybe two to three minutes of doing an activity like running or jumping, the bone's like, all right, well, I've had enough. So it stops adapting to that stress. Uh, so what uh, some folks would advocate for is maybe two times a day because bone remodels pretty quickly within like five to eight-ish hours. Uh, you would do two bouts of like running on, on the spot or two different type of exercises, maybe bridges in the morning, squats in the evening so that you're loading your tissues to get that adaptation response. And eventually what you're working towards is doing things slow and light. So think like walking, then what's harder than walking, maybe going up and down stairs. What's harder than that? Jumping. Then what's harder than that? Running. So you kind of think along that, that uh, scalable pathway and you're slowly nudging people along that, that pathway, call that the rehab staircase. Um, and then soft tissue injuries are going to be pretty similar where we're slowly scaling up the, uh, the challenge till eventually they're getting to running or if they are already running, we're slowly loading that tissue. I think like Achilles tendons, as I'm saying this to be able to get stronger, do more intense work. So lifting, doing a heel raise, uh, with body weight, then eventually doing it with weights in your hands and eventually doing it with like a jump and then eventually getting more into like explosive type plyometrics. So you're slowly increasing that bone is usually going to have a, uh, a period where it needs this workload probably for a period of time to really maintain its strength. Then if you have a history of the shin issues, you usually want to keep some type of thing in your routine kind of indefinitely just to make sure that bone is getting the stress it needs to maintain the strength it needs. Um, if you have something like an Achilles tendon or any tendon issue, it's going to take two to three months uh, minimum in a healthy population minimum to induce hypertrophy so changes in the tissue so they're getting thicker and stronger so in an injured population it might even take a little bit longer than that so i usually am telling people to get on the strength routine make sure it's tolerated well let's progress it so it's pretty challenging and then we need to keep doing that for at least two to three months and then once someone is good to go usually i'm going to advocate for just a maintenance type of exercise routine for a little while uh, just to make sure they're in the clear and feeling good uh, and if it's something where it's a repetitive issue then it's just like, well, that's something that that tissue needs to maintain its health if you want to continue to run. And so has there ever been any injury that you've encountered that you had to be that person that said, I'm sorry, you you can't run? Or you there's hope for every runner, every runner, no matter how many injuries that they've had or the severity of the injury, the body is an amazing thing and it can overcome. Yeah. Um, that is my, my bias is I do think the body is an amazing <laughs> thing and it, it can overcome. And, uh, we're starting to just have this, uh, kind of a abundance adaptation model that if you give it time, you have the ability to work through a program, you're, you're going to get to where you need to get. I think of this one gentleman who every year he would do this 50 kilometer cross country skiing race and usually he would pop his head in the clinic every September, be like, oh, my hip's really bugging me. I started to run again. And he had done all the imaging stuff. So he knew he had like a labral tear. He knew he had like moderate osteoarthritis. So all the things that like usually people like tell him like, you know, you shouldn't run. For me, I was like, well, let's run and see what happens. But there's no evidence to sway us that, hey, running is going to make this labor and running is going to make your osteoarthritis immediately get worse. In fact, it's usually it's to the contrary is physical activity is going to help those tissues just be better. So we would just get them into this running routine and get them mobile, stronger. Sometimes you need a little bit stronger treatments like hands-on treatment or dry needling. And he got to where he needed to get pretty much every year that I worked with him. I worked with him like three years in a row. So I always take that into kind of every session is just like, you have to know the person first and you know their goals, desires, expectations, and then you need to be able to work with them, but also need to establish a mutual expectation. With that, I do strongly believe most runners can get to where they want to get. It, it just takes time. 
So if you have the time and you have the person that you feel comfortable with, keep going. And some folks, like two of my like physical therapy mentors are adamant that you need to give most issues almost like a year of just like physical therapy-esque, strength conditioning-esque treatment because the, the body adapts. It adapts at different rates for everyone. You just need to keep going. Patience is so important as a runner and it's so, so hard because we want to rush everything. But I, I feel like just with training and with dealing with injuries, you're just learning time and time again that it's it's about the process and it's about loving the ability to run every day. And it's not about the time on the clock at the end of whatever you're training for. Yep. It's kind of like focus on the process, not the destination. I tell myself that every day I wake up and I write out my daily plan. I write that on my planner because it's so easy to just like get stuck into like, oh, well, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. But the number one thing I do every day with people is I just give them reassurance that they are doing the right things by doing the little things. Um, And it is a process. It's rarely linear, but it's, it's something that when you have a plan and trust and you develop expectations, you're going to see the progress. I love that. I love that's how you start your day. And you're right. It is the constellation of the little things that move you forward. So Joe, I've learned so much from you in this conversation. Where can people learn more about you or connect with you? So you can learn more about me on my website. Uh, it's joenortonpt.com or Instagram. Yeah, it's joenorton underscore PT confirmed. <laughs> and then anyone can always email me at joe at joenortonpt.com. Always love to have feedback and help people with issues. Awesome. Joe, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Whitney. Pleasure. Thank you, Joe. And thank you all for listening to the Passionate Runner podcast. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources that we mentioned are all available at runnerclick.com slash podcast. Please be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from the episodes, please leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com/tpr. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. <laughs>